0: I know that in our community, as diverse as it is, almost 900 family households at this point, thank God, and growing, that we have a wide range of experience amongst those who have studied meditation or contemplative practice or mysticism. For some of you, what I'm about to say is as obvious as the fact that I'm saying it. And for some of you, at least this beginning might seem a bit odd and maybe something that you chafe at but when exploring very high levels of meditation and contemplative states and experiences one can have rapturous moments where the very notion that there's anything to do anything to fix anything to improve any effort whatsoever in fact muddies the clarity of the mind. There are moments within certain aspects of contemplative and meditative absorption where everything is as it is, and that statement as obvious, perhaps banal and circuitous is actually true. Everything is exactly as it is. And far from being a solipsistic, silly thing to say, it actually reflects a deep experiential knowing that many who have studied the arts of meditation will say is as obvious to them as the fact that I am speaking. And yet there is also the truth of a world that does need perfecting, the truth of moments that are far from, perfect in any consensual sense of that word. And thinking about that this week, because I've been doing meditations in both varieties, both meditations that seek to improve the moment and those that seek to not seek anything. It had me thinking about a story that I'd like to share with you about my life. And I'd like you to come with me. Many of you might know that before I found my true calling as a rabbi, I had a few other occupations. Perhaps if you've been a member of this community, you know that for a little while, I was a waiter for about a decade on various restaurants in New York City, from north to south, east to west. You could find me in such venerated places as the Crab House and Carmine's, at Delhi Kasba and at ben's kosher deli that decade though found me in a number of other positions i maybe some of you remember did a gig as a check casher down at city hall for government checks standing and stamping government workers for about eight hours straight on my feet friday mornings did that for a couple of years but the job that i think that i have mentioned before but i'd like to come back to now is a job that was with a moving company called Flat Rate Movers. I worked as a mover, and I did it for all kinds of reasons. It was pretty powerful. I was drawn to it. it seemed to be the best way to embody myself after many years studying in the yeshiva and learning Talmud up to here. There are all kinds of reasons. But I found myself as a mover for a number of years And one of the most vivid memories I carry with me to this day was the overwhelming sense with each and every job that I had, that it would never end. (laughs) I remember, especially as I now walk around on the Upper West Side and see moving trucks in the winter, I remember vividly the sense of being called to a job and walking in to people's homes and thinking, There is no way that we will ever finish this job. There are 25 years, 30 years, 40 years of tchotchkes and drawers, furniture, you name it. This will never get done. It felt like a mountain, each and every job we had that needed to be scaled and I doubted frequently that it was possible. Well, I tell you this, I knew with absolute certainty that the job would, in fact, get done. I knew the time would pass and the simple mechanics of movement and the expenditure of energy would result in both departing and arriving at our destination. But the long path ahead of us felt each time as if we would indeed never get there. We wouldn't arrive or survive. We wouldn't make it. And it was this experience that never softened Not after one job or two or three. Even as the voice in my head would scream, we're gonna move this home in how many hours? Another voice though, which became more and more powerful with each successive job would say yes, and you will make it. Time will pass, hours will come and go. Just focus on what is right in front of you. Lift that box. Pack that box, move that piece of furniture. This knowing offset all of my not knowings. My overwhelming fear that we would never get done was replaced or not replaced really, but met with an equal force that said, it will get done if you do it. At times in our lives, We have no idea when and how a particular story or chapter will end. And even when we do, it can be so hard to continue the slog, to put one foot in front of the other to keep going. It can be almost unbearable to remember that indeed, as high as the mountain feels, the truism that one step at a time will bring us to where we long to be is something that can be impossible to remember. Think about that story this week, because in the Torah portion of this week, the Israelites will be involved in a never-ending drama of when will we get out? One of the overarching questions of the Exodus story, one of the overarching and obvious and glaring questions is if the God of Israel who has come down to free the Israelites and said, let my people go, I am omnipotent, I am the God of the universe. What is it that the Israelites must go through in terms of plague after plague? A drawn out drama. Each and every Israelite must be wondering If you're so strong, let's go. And with each successive plague, we imagine the Israelites saying, is it over yet? Are we there? It never felt like we were going to get there, and now here we are closer than ever, and you're drawing it out? And then the great mystery at the heart of tomorrow morning's Torah reading, out of nowhere, after nine plagues, the Torah will tell us that God has a task for the Israelites, a paschal offering to bring the God of Egypt into their homes and to slaughter it, and that will be the ticket to freedom. How many of them saw that coming? How many of them thought, wait a second, aren't we there? I mean, maybe we've read this story before, it's nine, we're about to get to 10, we're good to go. As if the Torah is telling us that yes, God says to the Israelites, you will be free. The job will get done. You can be rest assured that what looked like a mountain before is in fact scalable. Your freedom is at hand. But there's one little thing left, which is you have to participate in it. You have to pick up that box. You have to take that step. You have to open that drawer. You must not be a passive, patient waiter on freedom. Freedom is too precious. And even if it feels certain, God says, don't trust it. You must make it happen. If we were to speak about this moment in contemplative practice, we'd say, there was nothing for the Israelites to do. Just sit back and watch. God was going to make it all happen. But that's not what happened. The long drawn out despair and despair and we'll never get there. And finally, almost there, or maybe in the middle. And God says, you must do something. You must fight for your freedom we must be partners in that you must hold the truth of your inevitable liberation and the truth of its absolute uncertainty without your stepping in and stepping forward couldn't help but think about that this week couldn't help but think about that yesterday of the most precious gift that we have the gift of democracy the gift of truth the gift of the sanctity of our institutions the gift of the sanctity of our fellow human beings the gift of fair elections the gift of the transference of power when we remembered yesterday that that gift is indeed not inevitable as powerful as those institutions are, as powerful as that entity that is bringing freedom forward, as powerful as that inevitability of the arc of history bending towards justice. We remembered yesterday that indeed without our bending it together, without our willingness to roll up our sleeves and step forward, pick up that box, do what we must do, it will not be assured. We know that, we know that. We know that the Exodus narrative that we have been given is a promise of liberation and a promise and a warning that we must participate in its arrival or suffer the consequences. Couldn't help but think about that in terms of my own personal life and the personal life of many of us here. In our own lives, in moments when we feel that the slog is never-ending, in moments of despair when we feel we've come so close and yet it keeps slip-sliding away, in moments where we say, there's no way that I can lift one more shmata," God says, come on. You can do it. History is happening now. Time is marching forward. Perhaps we have the confidence that no matter what, the arc will bend towards truth and justice, but perhaps we're too tired to step in. We're so close to so many things, but our feet get wet and our fingers get frozen, and our bellies are hungry and our eyes are tight with tears shed and tears we haven't had time to cry. And now is the time to muster a voice inside, to meet those voices and say, time is moving. The task at hand is indeed heavy, but it is not infinite. Play your part, open your heart, do the right thing, fight for what is true and remember it's up to me and you. I remember coming home during those days as a flat rate mover. I remember how exhausted I was and how deeply, if minimally I had slept and how badly I wanted to stay asleep each and every morning when the alarm sounded, but I got up and I got dressed and I showed up at that warehouse in the Bronx in the dark of the early morning met by my Israeli friends. (laughs) I prepared to face a long day of heavy lifting but more importantly, a long day, preparing me to learn the Torah of how to bend light. We don't know how long, we don't know when it will end. It will, if we do our part. Please rise if you're able.